Thanks for tuning in to our weekly message. Be sure to visit our website, weareheartland.us, to find out more about the ministry and all of our upcoming events. Well, hey everyone, it's great to be with you again today as we bring the Plot Twist series to a close. And I'll tell you, I'm kind of sad this series is coming to a close. This series has been one of my favorite series that we've done in quite some time, and I think part of the reason for that is because it feels like it connects so well with what we're all going through right now. This year has felt like a massive plot twist that none of us could have possibly seen coming. If someone had asked you back in January what your spring and your summer and maybe even your fall was going to look like, there's no way you could have predicted what actually transpired. Some of the twists and turns that the year has taken might have been good for you, but by and large, I think most of us would agree that this year has brought some things that we would not have chosen if we had the magic pen and could have written the script ourselves. But what we've been saying over and over again in this series is that life is not a burden to endure. It is a story to live. Your life is not a burden to endure. It's a story to live. And every story has ups and downs, twists and turns. Every good story has a plot twist here or there. And what we've also been reminding ourselves of over the last few weeks is that when we look at Scripture, we see that God is sometimes referred to as an author. And as we read the Bible, we see that he's the type of author who loves to write in his own good plot twist into people's lives. Over and over and over again, we read stories in the Bible of people whose lives were headed in one direction, usually down a very destructive path, but then God intervenes, and in one good plot twist, everything changes. In fact, if you stop and think about our faith as a whole, you realize the good news of Jesus is one massive plot twist. Our entire faith rests on the fact that we were all dead in our sin. We were struggling, failing, paralyzed by our inability to adequately address our sin problem. But God loved us so much that he sent us his son, his only begotten son, to lay down his life on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin only to then raise him back to life again, conquering sin and death once and for all on behalf of anyone and everyone who would ever accept that free gift of grace. Sin forgiven, life changed, eternity secured, plot twist. Gosh, we could probably just stop right here. That's the plot twist to end all plot twist, is it not? But it doesn't stop there. Not only does God want to bless us with a twat, plot twist that changes eternity for us, as amazing as that is, God offers us a plot twist that makes all the difference here and now. And so over the course of the last three weeks, we've talked about different ways that your year might have started, and then we've looked at Scripture together, and we've seen what type of plot twist God might want to add to your story to make it turn out for the better. Back on week one, we talked about how you might have started the year feeling lost, unsure of which way to move forward, but we reminded ourselves that we are not lost, that God has a plan and a purpose, and He has called us. We reminded ourselves that you have been called on purpose and for a purpose. Week two, we talked about feeling weighed down with stress and anxiety. 
And we countered that with the easy yoke that Jesus promised his followers. We talked about living day in and day out like Jesus lived, about putting some routines in place in our lives that would allow us to experience the light burden that he offers us. And last week, we acknowledged that many of us feel a perpetual sense of urgency right now. We just want to hurry up and get through this chapter of our story. We wish that we could just push a magic button and skip ahead and maybe even get into the next year and just forget this year ever happened. But instead of that, as Dugan reminded us so powerfully, God is inviting us to let go of our need to have control. He's inviting us to trust Him and to look for the things that He might want to do that's unique to this story and to this chapter of our story. Today, I want to close the series out by talking about the plot line of division that is running through the story of this year so far and how I believe that God is calling His church into a plot twist of unity. I believe that God wants us to flip the script and to model for our country unity in the face of division. That's where I want us to go together today. When I was a wee little kid, I remember my mom singing nursery rhymes to me. Anybody else remember a parent or a grandparent singing nursery rhymes to you? Do any of you remember singing nursery rhymes to your kids? I mean, there were so many nursery rhymes. There was uh, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. There was Old MacDonald Had a Farm. Um, the Wheels on the Bus. Uh, row, row, row your boat, right? Um, but when I was a little kid, my mom sang all of those to me and so many more. But there is one old nursery rhyme that I've been thinking about a lot more lately. It was called, The More We Get Together. Do you remember that song? The more we get together, 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 the more we get together, the happier we'll be. Sing it with me. Because your friends are my friends, and my friends are your friends. The more we get together, the happier we'll be. I keep trying out for the worship team, and nobody calls me back. I don't know. What's, what's the problem here? But what a great sentiment. The more we get together, the happier we will be. That sounds so good. If only it was that easy. Easier said than done. Am I right? Yes, of course I'm right. We are living in incredibly divisive times. I don't even need to list you all the different ways that our country is divided right now. I'm sure they come to mind for you immediately. Not a single day goes by without events or news stories that divide people. And it seems like this year in particular, there are two major things adding to the division. The first is what I'll call the politicization of everything. Everything has become political. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there's an election coming up in November, and apparently it's a big one. And that feeling that this is such an important election, what that feeling has done is it has made everything political. Even things as simple as wearing a mask has somehow become a political statement. And as a result, there are now no neutral topics and the problem with everything becoming political 
is that there are very few things as divisive as politics. And so that's one of the major things that's been adding to the division in our country this year. The other thing that's been adding to the division is the cancel culture. Cancel culture is the growing trend or the growing practice of publicly shaming someone and completely writing them off, effectively canceling them, for something they did or said that you disagree with. If you say one thing I don't like, or if you do one thing I disagree with, I will write off everything you've ever said and any good you've ever done. It's all gone. It's all been discredited by whatever it is that you've just said or done that I don't like. And if that wasn't enough, the divisiveness of the cancel culture goes even further because not only will I write you off and cancel you, I'll cancel anyone who takes your side and tries to defend you. And so as a result, we get these massive divides around everything that either should or shouldn't be canceled. As Christians, we may or may not be able to change these trends in our culture, but there should be no doubt that God calls His followers to unity. It is everywhere in Scripture. Unity is a big, big deal to God. Look at what we read in 1 Corinthians. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and promise. Or, I'm sorry, in thought and purpose. We are called to unity. Let me show you what we read in Galatians. There we read, For that you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are called to unity. Skip over to Ephesians. Read, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Philippians, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from His love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. We are called to unity. Colossians, make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you and so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. We are called to unity. The Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter, Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. We are called to unity. And this isn't just a New Testament thing. This has been the call of God from the very beginning. As we go back to the book of Proverbs, look at what we read there. 
In Proverbs 6, we read that there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and here it is, a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Did you catch that? A man who stirs up dissension is one of the seven things that are detestable to God. Listed along with things like the shedding of innocent blood, this is a big deal. We are called to be united with one another and to fight against division. We are commanded as followers of Jesus to be part of the unity solution, not part of the division problem. If you consider yourself a Christian, I would hope that these seven passages I just read you are enough to convince you that you have been called to live in unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. But I didn't even get to the most powerful passage yet. If you've been around Heartland for a while, you've probably heard me read it before because this is so central to our church and what we are trying to build together here. But I want to take you back to the night before Jesus was arrested, to the night before he went to the cross. As you may know, Jesus shared his last supper with his disciples that night in the upper room. And then we know that they spent some time worshiping together by singing some worship songs together. And then we're told that they went outside to a private secluded place where Jesus, knowing what was coming for him over the next 24 hours, knelt down and prayed. And if you're like me, you've seen the paintings of that night. You've seen Jesus with his perfect skin and his flowing hair and his robe that looks like it just came back from the dry cleaners. And luckily there was even a perfect little stone bench for him to kneel down next to and pray with his hands folded and his head bowed. That's not real. Obviously. We, we know that Jesus was filled with anguish. That this was a hot dirty place that he was sweaty he was he was covered in dirt his hair was probably matted to his head as he sat or laid in the in the dirt and we know that he cried out to God the Father and you might know part of his prayer you might remember that he prayed if it is possible for this cup to pass by him and but ultimately he prayed for God's will to be done not his own you might remember that part but I wonder if you know the, that the vast majority of his prayer was not for himself. The vast majority of his prayer was for you and for me. John, who was there that night, tells us that Jesus prayed for the 11 apostles who were there with him. And then he tells us that Jesus said this. He then prayed, Father, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He prayed for us. He was talking about you and me. We are the ones who would believe in Jesus through the apostles' message. And then he prayed. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those that will believe in me through their message that all of them, all of them, meaning all of his followers, whether they are white or black or brown, whether they are married or single. He prayed for the rich and poor, for the young and old, for the Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians and Green Party and every other political persuasion. He prayed for all of us. He prayed 
that all of them may be one. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Right when all of the sin of mankind was coming down on Jesus, as he poured out his heart to God the Father, as he was literally sweating drops of blood, he was so burdened. In that moment, Jesus prayed for us. And what was his prayer? That we would be united as one? That nothing would ever come between us? And you have to ask yourself, why? Why was this so important to him? Why was our unity the number one thing that Jesus prayed for when he could have prayed for anything? Why didn't he pray for our obedience to his teachings? Why didn't he pray that that we would display the power of the Holy Spirit? Why was it that he prayed we would be unified? Well, we don't really have to wonder. He tells us why in the very next verse. He says it in verse 21, and then he says it again in verse 23. John 17, 23, Jesus prays, May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as as you have loved me. The reason that Jesus prayed for our unity was because Jesus looked into the future and he could foresee that if his church was an incredibly diverse group of people who came from all different walks of life, who who represented people from every corner of society, that if a group of people that different from each other could come together and be united as one, he knew that the rest of the world would stand up and take notice. Jesus knew that there could be no greater evidence that God is real and that God is working in our world today than a community of people whose love for one another permeated and overshadowed every other conversation they were part of. We have been called to unity. And that calling has been at the very core of the vision for Heartland from day one. We created Heartland as a non-denominational church. You do not need to come from any specific denominational background to belong here. We built this place for people who come from Catholic backgrounds and Lutheran backgrounds and Methodist backgrounds and Baptist backgrounds and Assemblies of God backgrounds. We built this place for the people who have absolutely no church background at all. And we built this place for the people who not only have no church background, but they, have, they are the people who have spoken out against the church their whole life. Our mission is to awaken our diverse community to Jesus. We don't want to only awaken people who, who look and think like us. We want to awaken people who don't look like each other, who don't think like each other, and who do not vote like each other. We do not have to agree with each other about everything. Unity is not sameness. We can maintain our differences and our uniquenesses and still be united. We do not have to let our differences divide us. 
And for 13 years now, we have rallied around that vision, and together we have created something so special. We have successfully created a place where people from all walks of life come together in unity and know they are not just welcome here, but they know they belong just as much as anyone else. It has been a beautiful thing, and I love being part of it. And we cannot take that for granted. We have to fight for our unity because everything around us in this world is going to do its best to drive a wedge of division among us. There is a very real enemy who wants nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants nothing more than to tear down the unity in the church. And when people start making each other the enemy, the real enemy wins. So what can you and I do about this? Maybe you're thinking, I'm just one person. What can I do? How do I make sure that we stay unified? How do I live in unity? That's a great question that I want to answer for you. Actually, I want to give you two concrete ways. The first thing that I want to invite you to start doing, or the first thing I want to invite you to do, is to determine that you will put Jesus first and your political views second. At Heartland, we have never and we will never endorse a political party or candidate because we know we can disagree politically with each other and still be united as one in Christ. Regarding this upcoming election, I hope you'll do your homework. I hope you pay attention. And then I hope you vote however the Holy Spirit leads you to vote. Just keep in mind that your political candidate is either going to win or lose based on how the country votes on November 3rd, but the church is going to win or lose based on how we treat each other between now and then and in the weeks that follow that day. And no matter who is elected on November 3rd, Jesus will still be king on November 4th. Amen? We do not worship a donkey or an elephant. Elephant. We worship the Lamb of God who laid down His life to atone for our sin so that we could be set free from our sin, so that we could experience life to the full, life lived in true community with Him and with each other. So I want to invite you to determine that even when it's hard to do, you are going to put your allegiance to Jesus ahead of your allegiance to your political party. The second thing I want to ask you to do is to start praying for what Jesus prayed for. If it was that important for Him, that it was the one thing He prayed for on the night right before He went to the cross, maybe we should start praying for it too. And to make it easy for you to remember, I'll give you the exact wording to pray. It's simply, Heavenly Father, make us one so we can awaken many. Heavenly Father, make us one so we can awaken many. Jesus believed that our shocking level of unity among a group of diverse people would be the key to awakening the world to Him. 
It's what he prayed for when he looked into the future and saw us. So let's join him in praying for that as well. Let's be people who pray that prayer every single day, asking God to help us do something that would be impossible without His help. Make us one so that we can awaken many. Now some of you may be thinking, come on John, aren't you being a little naive Like, of course, you're going to say all of this. You're a pastor. It's what you're supposed to say. But aren't you being a little naive to think that this is actually possible? No. I'll tell you what naive is. Naive is a first century rabbi who came from nowhere, surrounded by a group of 12 guys even younger than him, none of whom had any political clout, any connections, any money, any political or military power. And he says, I'm going to build my church, my assembly, and the gates of Hades won't be able to prevail against it. That would be naive. And yet that's exactly what happened. And that's what we are part of today. And we have been invited to continue the growth of that assembly in our community by living in unity with one another. Even the one another's you disagree with. Will you close in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would make us one so that we could help awaken many. Lord, would the unity of your church cause a watching world to stand up and take notice and to see and understand there must be a God who is real because that collection of believers are so diverse, that is the only way they could be so united with one another. Lord, would our unity bring glory to you and would it change the world? In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. Join us online for our full Heartland service on Sundays at 9 a.m. and our community chapel on Wednesdays at 7 p.m.